This edition of Brass Bonanza is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season. Everything from NFL and bowl season to esports. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. With the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite leagues and events, head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BLEAV, that's B L E A V, to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. Today on Brass Bonanza, a Whalers podcast, I talked to Hockey Hall of Famer Mark Howe, a legend who was in New England and then Hartford from 1977 until 1982. The son of Gordie Howe, Mark carved out an impressive career in his own right, playing 22 seasons, 16 in the NHL and 6 in the WHA. On a personal note, I grew up idolizing Mark Howe. Needless to say, this was a tremendous honor. We talked about joining the Whalers, playing alongside his father and brother, the WHA-NHL merger, his gruesome injury in 1980, his favorite teammates, and what he's up to now, and much more. That's up right now on Brass Band. Mark, let's start with this. Explain to people who may not know the choice you had to make when it came to joining the Whalers, there were a few other options on the table there, weren't there? Uh, yeah, well, there was, uh, we, uh, as a family, we had the option of uh, signing with any team in the WHA uh, or my uh, rights in the NHL were owned by the Boston Bruins. So, uh, uh, and we, we loved our time in Houston, uh, but the problem was they were having financial difficulties. So, uh, um, so then my mom started, uh, looking at the options for us and, uh, and I wanted to go to the NHL. So, uh, I mean, as a kid, you grow up, you dream of being in the NHL. And, uh, so, uh, actually the Boston Bruins offered me, uh, a really good, uh, five-year contract. Uh, and actually was, uh, it was for more money than what, uh, I was offered by the whalers. Uh, it was, uh, half the term, but, uh, but I had not, had I gone to Boston, then I think my dad probably would have retired and, uh, and Marty and dad and I couldn't have played together again. So, um, so I talked to my mom, she said, look, the, the leagues will get together at some point you'll be in the NHL. Uh, but yeah, I mean, let's continue the, the dream. And so I, it was an easy sell and, uh, and, uh, Hartford was the location, uh, that, uh, Howard Baldwin's the one that, uh, stepped up and uh, made the deal to get the three of us in Hartford. It's funny talking to people. They, they've compared Howard Baldwin to Harold Hill from the music man a little bit in terms of his charisma <laughs> and his ability to kind of get everybody to buy in. What was it like playing for Howard? Uh, well, Howard, uh, basically he, he was on the outside and, uh, you know, for the most part, they let the people, uh, that were in charge of the hockey team, uh, you know, Jack Kelly was the general manager at the time. And, uh, you know, they let, uh, the coaches, Harry Neal was the, the first coach there and, and they let them run the show and, uh, it was uh, business on the ice and, uh, really didn't have much to do with Howard probably had more to do, um, uh, you know, since that time, but, uh, but yeah, no, but, uh, Howard, uh, uh, was, like I said, very, uh, charismatic and, uh, and, and a nice person. So he's, he's easy to like, and, 
but yeah, most of the encounters uh, that we had at that time with Howard were um, yeah, meeting and greeting and saying hello and uh, maybe the odd dinner or something. But like I said, it was it was primarily hockey and it was uh, it was all business. You guys got a bit of a cool response when you first arrived in New England. I'm not sure if it was your book or Marty's book, but I remember a quote being something along the lines of, well, we're not in Houston anymore. Uh, yeah, it was. So I, I know in Houston uh, and everything there was set up by Bill Deneen, who was just a, a wonderful person, wonderful coach. Um, and we had a really tight-knit group of guys uh, down there in Houston. We won a couple of AVCO Cups to, uh, as a group down there. We lost the third year, so we, we had a lot of success as a team. Uh, we came up to Hartford, and, and things were just a little uh, uh, disjointed uh, compared to what our team was in Houston, and um, things were, yeah, and it's, uh, yeah, like, I don't know if uh, some of the players or whatever, they were either jealous because we because of the contracts we signed, which to me makes no sense because if guys sign for more money, it just makes it easy for you to get more money. Um, so, and it was, uh, yeah, so no, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't horrible, but no, it wasn't, uh, uh, you know, it wasn't um, the same chemistry uh, uh, in the locker room as what we had in Houston. Uh, there's no doubt about that. At the same time, that's not to say that it wasn't, a, a you know, you didn't make friends in New England. I know that you've spoken very fondly of guys like Nick Fatiu. Um, We had Dave Diebold on the podcast, and he couldn't have been nicer about, you know, talking about you and your dad and your brother. Uh, tell me a little bit about some of the, the relationships that you built playing in Hartford, some of your favorite teammates that, that you encountered along the way. Uh, with a lot of, I like I said, uh, a lot of characters on the team. I, and yeah, I, I room with uh, Dave DeBall for like a year and a half or so. And uh, 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 Mike Rogers was a, a heck of a nice guy, heck of a player. Uh, Blaine Stoughton, who scored a ton of goals for the organization. And for me, never, ever got the credit for, uh, I guess, his ability to score. Maybe didn't have an overall game, but actually he's one of the better goal scorers that, you know, that I played with. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, uh, uh, guys from, uh, goalie Al Smith was a wonderful guy. Uh, you know, then you had, and you had your, you had your group of guys that they had acquired from Minnesota when they folded. So uh, you had your Keons, your, uh, Johnny McKenzie, great guy, Mike Antonovich, uh, and, and they're all good people. Uh, and then now we come in from Houston. So it's another little segment of people and it just, it, took a while to try to get everything together and uh but no like as far as all the i i uh i wrote a lot with uh with greg carroll um when al sims uh when we acquired him in a waiver draft from boston so uh simmer lived fairly close uh ronnie francis when uh when he first got there so he uh he lived fairly close by so uh those are those are guys that uh, uh you saw uh, quite often. And but like I said, there was a lot of good characters, a lot of good people. And, um, yeah, Gordy Roberts, nice guy. And I, I we used to, uh, I know there, uh, Pierre LaRouche was probably as nice a person you could ever want. A lot, actually, a lot of us guys, uh, we used to play over at, uh, I believe it was Bel Campo golf course. Uh, 
mm -hmm. uh, just off 44 down the mountain. So, uh, yeah, so we did uh, we did our stuff together as a group in the locker room. And, you know, we did uh, we did things together in the summer as well. Was Fatou the one who would nail shoes to the ceiling? Well, yeah, he would hot glue them. So, uh, yeah, so he, I think it was in Pittsburgh in, uh, in the old igloo where um, you, you had a ceiling that went up in a, uh, about a 33-degree angle, but right at the very peak, I think it was about, oh, 18 foot high, and he'd go out and get a ladder and, and bring it out, and he'd hot glue, and guys would come off the ice, and they're trying to find their clothes, and then sure enough, they'd be They'd be up there on the ceiling. So, yeah, it would take a while to get things back down. <laughs> I was talking with, with Devin McCourty of the New England Patriots earlier this month, and he has a brother who played in the NFL, and we were talking about watching the Kelseys in the Super Bowl. I don't know if you saw it, but it made me think of the situation with your brother and, and your father in being able to share sporting experiences with them that I, I don't think that most of the general public would, would really understand. I, I'm curious, what was the most surprising thing about that experience, about having your brother and your father as your teammates? Uh, well, uh, the most incredible thing was being able to watch Gordy Howe from age 45 to 52 being teammates. And I, I, and I was a linemate of his before I became a defenseman. Uh, and just how great a hockey player was at that. I, I tell people all the time, he was better at 45 than I ever was at any stage of my life. That's how good he was. Um, you know, it took him a couple of weeks to get going, but, uh, uh, and my brother, Marty, that we played together every year, uh, when I, I started playing hockey at four. And, uh, I think when I finally got traded to Philly, I think was, uh, Oh, I think I was 26 years old, give or take. And we played together every year except for two uh, during that, that span. So, uh, but yeah, like it, it's such a great thing. And then, yeah, I, and going back to the Kelties and the Super Bowl, uh, I watched that and, and, you know, I watched the interviews after. And it kind of reminded me of, and it's hard. You're playing a sport and you're focused on your job. Um, and but I could feel the emotion. You could tell that like, I, I won, but oh God, I beat my brother. Like, and, and I remember, so I got traded to, to the flyers. I came back and my first game back playing in the Hartford civic center. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to shove it up to, you know what, and I'm going to play so good. And what happened, the forward who was responsible for covering me, uh, he missed his assignment a couple of times, which gave me open space and a little freedom to do some things. And so I jumped in the holes, guys fed me the puck and I'm full, full speed ahead. And, and the defenseman's trying to do another job and he's flat footed. And then I buzz around and I shoot and score it. Well, the two times I did it, it happened to be my brother. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I was, so you have a little bit of elation. You're celebrating with your guys. But inside, you're going like, damn it, that's my brother. I don't want to do that to my brother. So that's where I can really relate to that Super Bowl game, except for obviously the Super Bowl is a much bigger stage. But, yeah, when you're when you're that uh, close to your brother and stuff, um, yeah, that that's the negative part about it. But, uh, yeah, having the – like I said, Marty, Marty and I, like I said, all those years we played together, some 22 years or whatever. So it was uh, a great experience. 
your mother's words of wisdom paid off in 1979 when you guys were part of the merger between the WHA and the NHL. Tell me about the emotions that you had in that moment, because I know I know speaking with a lot of guys, there was a feeling of validation. There was a feeling of, all right, look, some people look down on the WHA, but now we're going to show them. We're going to show them that this is a real league with real guys and we can play just as well as the guys in the NHL. Uh, yeah, without a doubt. That's, uh, you, yeah, you've, you felt like you had something to prove, uh, to all the doubters. And, uh, I know I did an interview a while ago talking about Wayne Gretzky and, uh, uh and I said, I was probably his biggest fan that year. Cause everybody said Wayne can't do anything. And I believe he tied Marcel Dion in scoring that year, but Marcel had more goals. So they gave him the title, but I'm going, yeah, okay. But I said, well, my theory was Wayne Gretzky is going to score no matter where he is. Um, and we, we had had exhibition games against a lot of the team. We didn't play the elite tier teams in the NHL, but we played against a lot of the middle of the road teams and we did fine. So, um, and then, so on the first year of the league, uh, you know, we, we made the playoffs, uh, uh, we did okay. And then actually we were doing great the second year. Mm -hmm. Uh, but Mike Rogers had a horrible injury and that's, uh, that was the year that I got skewered on the net and, uh, you know, it kind of, kind of basically set me back for a full year in my career. And, uh, our, we had a good team, but our team wasn't deep enough to, to offset a couple major injuries to, uh, a, a couple guys that helped to carry the load offensively for that team. And, I, uh, I think the night I got hurt, uh, and I think Mike got hurt within a, a game or two. Mm -hmm. I think we were like eighth place overall in the league. Yeah. And, and we were one of the, uh, so the year before we were in fifth place in the WHA, then they had the merger. And I always felt, uh, Winnipeg was the best team that year, uh, the last year of the league. And, uh, they were deep, they were strong. And they lost like 14 of the players. They had to go back to the teams that they were drafted by. They got crushed. And, they did. Yeah. And uh, so I have a few of the teams that were better than us the, uh, the year prior. Uh, they came in. So, yeah, they didn't make the playoffs. Uh, and like I said, so we, we came in. We were about the middle of the pack. We made the playoffs. And of the, uh, like I said, so we were in fifth place from the year before. And we finished the middle of the road. I think the biggest difference was probably the goaltending. Mm -hmm. If I had to discern, uh, I would say uh, the NHL goalies were a little bit better than the guys in the in the WHA. Um, uh, and but most of the teams, I think, felt we're you know we're middle of the road teams. We can compete. We can combattle. No, we weren't as good as the elite teams, uh, top four or five. But none of the other twenty teams in the NHL were either. So. The first year of that merger, by the end of the season, you guys had traded for Bobby Hull. And so I, I love telling people that you guys had four future Hall of Famers on that roster heading into the postseason between you, your father, Dave Keon, and Bobby Hull. That's quite a lineup. Uh, yeah, well, considering I think uh, th uh, three of the four were, I think, into their 40s. One was in his <laughs> 50s, I think. So, but now, nah, like, various wow. stages of their development, I'll say that, yeah, right? Yeah, I know. But like I said, like dad just had the stamina of a uh, whatever, like uh, just a phenomenal uh, generational uh, athlete. Davey Keon used to come to training camp at 40 years of age, uh, had not skate, just take a brand new pair of skates out of a box throw him on his feet and just be skating as well as anybody. And, 
and uh, Bobby Hull, you know, I know Bobby just passed recently, and uh, but he was still a heck of a hockey player. And uh, but unfortunately, they they had a, a tragic accident within his family. I think his fiance. I think uh, uh, I don't know if she. Uh, I think she survived, but yeah, I think she had permanent damage after that. So it was, uh, um, you know, extremely unfortunate for, for him and in his private lifestyle. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, to get a chance to, uh, be on the ice with those three guys actually is pretty awesome. You, you referenced this a little bit earlier and we've talked about this, the horrifying injury that took place in 1980. You were very frank and honest with me about the physical nature of the injury and the rehab and your return. I was wondering, however, what was it like psychologically? Did the trauma from the event manifest itself at all when it came to your on ice play moving forward? Um, not really. I, um, I, I know, I think it was, uh, about day four that I was in the hospital and the, and I finally started to come around a little bit and the doctor was talking to me and he's telling me all the things that could go wrong. And, and I, I miss being paralyzed by a half inch. I miss doing this, miss doing that by just fractions of an inch. And, uh, and I had to pass a couple of tests in order to get through it. The only thing I kept asking him was, am I going to be able to play hockey again? Am I going to get able to play hockey again? And finally, about the fourth time, he goes, yeah. And I said, okay, I don't need to know anything else. That's all I need to know. And, um, and so I, and I, and I remember I came back, it was six weeks to the day. I was down, uh, like almost 25 pounds from the night I got hurt. So in today's world, nobody would ever let me play, but, uh, but you're trying to get back in the lineup. The team was losing. You want to try to make a difference. I'm sure I made things worse, but I know on the inside, I was, I was dying to help them out. And it was one of the first games I played where I was driving down the right side. I cut around the defenseman. I was cutting to the front of the net. And you know, when you cut to, when you're going to the far post, you know, you're getting smoked. Um, but that's the angle that gives you the best chance to score. And I, I've always went through the traffic my whole life. And I was cutting to the front of the net. And I said, nope. And I beard and I went, I went behind the net and threw the pot and made a pass. I got to the bench and I started screaming and cursing and yelling. Everybody said, what's wrong? And I said, I, I was screaming at myself. And I said, that will never, ever happen again. And that was the only time. And, and I, you know, I, I thank God for it, that, uh, that, that thought went out of my head right then and there. And, um, so like I said, I, I, I never played scared ever in my life. Like I wasn't a good fighter. There's no doubt about that, but I never played scared. And, uh, I was scared for what I, I, for a fraction of a second, it intimidated me to go to the front of the net because I might might go into that net again. And so boom, I made a decision, but thank God that was the only time that thought ever popped into my head. And I'm glad, I'm glad it disappeared. Obviously, there were a lot of things between that moment and when you ended up being traded. But and I think we even discussed this. Do you feel like that maybe was the beginning of the end for you in Hartford? Uh, oh yeah, without a doubt. Um, uh, I, I, I don't even think you can debate that. Uh, not certainly not in my mind. Uh, I do know the night I got hurt. Um, I think I was, uh, like eighth, eighth or ninth in scoring in the league. Uh, I think I was the leading scoring defenseman in the league. And it, it, that was probably the best two or probably best three months I ever had in my career. 
and I was strong at 190, 191 pounds out of a strong, uh, my endurance was great. I was coming together physically and mentally. I was learning how to play the position of playing defense. I was making, well, and, and by learning, I, said I was making less mistakes uh, in my own end of the rank. And, but the offense was still coming. And um, yeah, and then, like I said, so the, uh, the night I got hurt, I weighed 191. I weighed myself in every day. And uh, when I came back and played it, I would think I was uh, 170 or 171 pounds, uh, weak as a noodle. Uh, so I, I finished out the year uh, and then uh, uh, kind of got to the summer. And then even next year, I kind of messed me up. I was, I had begun my, uh, my uh, summer, my workout routine, which I used, used to start like in July. And, um, and then um, I got called by the U.S. Uh, US team to go play mm -hmm. in, in World Cup. And it kind of messed me up because I wasn't ready for that. And mm -hmm. the whole thing, then now I come back, I'm at Hartford and, and it was a bad year. It was just yeah. really hard. And so the organization got disgruntled with me. And I, I know I had a no trade contract. They called or I, I said, Hey, let's have a meeting. I said, I have a no trade. I said, if you want to trade me here, here's four teams, go ahead. Mm -hmm. But I said, I, and I asked why they got one, wanted to get rid of me. And they just said that, uh, you know, they just thought that I was comfortable and, and, uh, I wasn't passionate about playing basically. And, and I said, well, it's got nothing to do. I said, and by then I, like I was 176 pounds. So I'm still 15 pounds underweight. And I, and I, mm -hmm. I admittedly was bad. I know that. And I said, but I'm working, trying to get better. It's not something that I want to happen. And, uh, but then, uh, I think from that meeting on till I finally got traded. Yeah, it was, uh, it, it was pretty evident. They didn't want me around. And after a while I said, well, I don't want to be here either. So, and, and I was used to winning, uh, and that team wasn't going to make the playoffs and it's not something I was used to, and it's not something I like. So, um, so I said, okay, here's, here's my list of four teams is still the same. And yeah, unfortunately for me, I got traded the flyers. It was a great fit, fit my philosophy about team playing and but yeah, that, that injury without a doubt is what began the whole, uh, I guess, negative process that ended up, uh, in Hartford. Well, as a 12 year old Whalers fan, I gotta tell you, there, there, there were some tough days in the early 1980s following the Whalers being a Whalers fan, but I, I don't know if they got much darker for me as a kid, because you were in a lot of ways, you were, you were the beacon, you were the guy, you were, you were the face of the franchise. And obviously it changes over the years and things you know, different players come in and, and Ron Francis kind of took the mantle a little bit, but it was awful tough. It was awful tough for, for a 12 year old hockey fan growing up in Connecticut to see, to see Mark Howe leave. Yeah. Well, I, I know uh, when they traded Mike Rogers away, it was, uh, it was hard for us in the locker room. My, uh, back in the day, I think there used to be maybe five players that scored a hundred points. Mike Rogers did it three years in a row. Mm -hmm. I, uh, like I said, Blaine Stout was scoring Blaine Stout got traded away. Um, then it was my turn. So, uh, and I, you know, a few years later, Ronnie Francis got traded and, um, yeah. And, I, and, and trades happen. Um, you know, unfortunately, I, I, uh, but it's the return that you get. So I think the return for some of those trades was not comparable. I mean, you easy to go to Ronnie Francis and they got a couple guys in returns, but one had a health problem. Ronnie went on to his hall of fame career and, um, um, yeah, but that's, and that's part of sport. Uh, 
like I said, once Gordy Howe had to leave, once Wayne Gretzky got traded, everything's possible. Exactly. That's a fair point. You told me a great story once about Brass Bonanza, the song, and bringing home the 45 and playing it in the living room when you and your son and maybe someone would, would come over and play. They would play living room hockey. Expand on that a little bit for me, if you will. Well, I didn't play it so because I got tired of hearing it. But uh, <laughs> unless we're at home, that was a good thing. But now nah, my uh, my firstborn, Travis, uh, was just a little boy. And uh, he had a tiny little turntable that spun 45s. And, uh, he, and he, he had a little uh, mini hockey stick. And uh, so he'd, he'd get the brass bonanza going. And he'd be shooting around a little, uh, little tennis ball in the living room. And um, so I like to <laughs> I, I remember my uh, story from the, well, the night that I got hurt uh, and the, the game was on TV. And uh, so my wife was home making some dinner for uh, getting ready. It was straight after Christmas. And then uh, uh, my son Travis was playing hockey and he had the bra brass bonanza going. And then there was, there was a picture of me on TV and laying in a pool of blood. So, and if this thing gets aired, so, I've had so many people ask me, like, uh, I know when I got in the Hall of Fame, they said, um, uh, you must have a video, you must have something from that injury. And I said, it's amazing if anybody can sit and try to find that injury and no, it no longer exists. It's exactly, gone. exactly. Yeah. That, that's Mark, that's a, that's a completely fair point. And because I, I remember growing up, obviously in Connecticut and being a Whalers fan, in hearing on the radio, Chuck Caton described the injury and what happened. I delivered the Hartford Current. There were no pictures. There was no, I can't find pictures. I can't find video. I can't find anything from that injury that night. Yeah, I know. Well, and the thing I remember the most, I was laying on the ice and and I kind of knew what happened. I actually, I thought I'd punctured my intestines or whatever because it went in so far. Uh, we got a few other things, but, but I remember looking up, Nick Fatu was there looking down at me and I said, they were the biggest eyes you've ever seen in your life. And I said, he was, he was scared to death. And then they finally got me in the locker room and I was screaming at the doctors cause I was panicking. I thought I was, I thought I was going to die. And, uh, my dad was at the game, watching the game. He came down from the, uh, upstairs. Uh, he grabbed my hand and he told the doctor that he wanted to see the injury and the doctor wouldn't let him do it. He said, it's my boy. I want to see the injury. They took the towel away. And I think my dad almost broke my left hand. He squeezed so hard. So I go, I said, Oh my God, I'm really in trouble. Cause actually Gordy, how I got scared about something. So, uh, yeah, so that, that but those two signs, but yeah, I, 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 uh, I, I remember the, uh, couple guys I was friends with uh, when I lived in Avon. Uh, one guy gave me a, a, he had recorded the game because it was on TV and he, uh, it was the old VHS tape. And it was about two months later. And I said, well, let me plug this in and watch it. So I plugged it in. I was sitting on the edge of the bed and as I'm sliding into the net, and as soon as I went in there, I just kind of jumped up, went off, jumped off the bed. I unplugged that tape and I threw the tape away. I said, that was a bad mistake, but I said, I'm not going to watch this again. But yeah, like you said, there's, there's so many people have asked to see that. And uh, it's just, it just doesn't exist. It, it's comparable to, in some ways, I think the, the Flint Malarchik injury because of yeah, it, yeah, it that happened was around yeah. the goal and, and, and I remember seeing that, and that was just, that just, 
that's one of the scariest things I've ever seen. I've, you know, watch a, a lifetime of watching hockey. And I think that it would have that same, some, that same level of magnitude. That's that, that same level of gravity. Yeah. I remember seeing that. And I, uh, I think it was, uh, Richard Zednick with, uh, Washington, I think when they were playing a Buffalo and a skate caught him in the neck and, uh, he was bleeding profusely from the corner to it. Actually, he was going by the Buffalo bench, you know, the train reached over, grabbed him and, and he was so lucky, I guess it cut his uh, artery all the way through, except for just a pin needle. And it kind of held it together. So they were able to clamp it and, and, you know, they, they kept them alive. So yeah, those, uh, they're very rare. Uh, hopefully they don't, I know they change rules, do different things. Uh, I know they changed the net. So, you know, so hopefully, you know, those injuries don't happen to players in the future. Why does this franchise continue to resonate for so many people in a way that many other teams who've gone through similar circumstances don't? I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to explain. And even the, so Marty and I were invited to ride on a float, uh, the NHL float at the Macy's parade a few years ago. Uh, and so they ended up wanting me to wear uh, a flyers outfit and and they were going to have Marty in a Boston one. Then they said, nah, then they changed and they put him in whaler colors. Well, as you're going through, uh, through Manhattan on the float and you're waving and there's millions of people everywhere. Of course, I was getting booze because I'm in New York. I'm wearing flyers stuff. <laughs> and, but, oh, yeah, people were going crazy over, over the, the, the blue and green of the whaler outfit Marty was wearing. And, and that's just... I, I don't know. And everywhere you go, it's, it's real popular. I know it remains popular to this day. So, uh, uh, I know a lot. I, I enjoyed the logo and like, I even enjoyed the, uh, when they, in the WHA, the new England logo, I had like those, like they were actually one of the, uh, the neater jerseys I think I ever wore. So, but people really latched onto the, uh, the Hartford Whaler stuff. And, um, uh, but for me, there's no explanation for it. Howard Baldwin says a lot that it, it, it's 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 one of those things where Hartford, in a lot of ways, was the Green Bay of hockey for for a, a, a few years anyway. And you had that level of community. It was a small market team, and you could see members of the team out and about in the community. And that connection that developed between families and the players was very unique. And and that still kind of exists to this day when you talk to people in the Hartford Whalers Booster Club or you see someone, you know, wearing the sweater, it's just that level of connection that, that was fostered in the seventies and eighties. You maybe don't get that other places. Uh, yeah, I think so. Well, plus back in the day, the fans always had access to the players and, and it was great. Uh, I mean, like I, I watched my dad grow up in Detroit. He signed every autograph. I tried to follow in that mode. I, I tried signing every single autograph that came my way. And, and, I, I lived in Detroit. It was a big city. I lived in Houston. It was a big city. And I moved to Hartford. It was like small town, little, uh, small town USA. And like I said, I met, uh, I think it was my memory serving right. Tony Rotundo that used to be at Bel Campo. Um, like I said, I got to know a couple of the, a couple of the policemen in Avon, uh, had a guy developer, Joe, Joe Carter was a neighbor. Um, like you, you build relationships with friends around the community. Uh, Dr. Candles uh, was my, uh, our kid's pediatrician, just a wonderful person. So he lived in, in Avon as well. And I oh, Tommy Webster was close by, like another real nice guy. But you build relationships with people in the community. And 
and you, you seemed welcome and you were a part of it. I mean, I, like, like I said, I would hop, uh, hop in the car with a couple guys. We'd run up to new Canaan or whatever. And we'd fish the Farmington rag, bought a canoe one year and fish the Farmington river. And yeah. So, and it's, it's, it was a great place to live. Marty loved being on the, on the East side. So he'd be close to the ocean. So he'd be running, running down fishing in the sound. I do a lot of that with him now. And, uh, and it's, it's a community that offers a lot. And also you're, you're kind of, you're in between Boston and New York. Mm-hmm. And so anywhere you went, so actually when we first started playing, whenever you played the Bruins, you had more fans cheering for the Bruins than you had, but I don't know why, but we used to beat them a lot in the regular season. And so, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if they had something to prove or whatever, but uh, you know, and, but I think the fans that you had, uh, they were the local and they were loyal and mm-hmm. extremely loyal. And, um, uh, it, it's hard to beat. So there was no wavering. They, they weren't the same amount as fans that you had for the, either the Rangers for the Bruins, but the fans that you had were, were absolute diehard and, uh, they were all local. Mark, thank you so much for doing this. Let people know what you're up to these days. Uh, well, not much. I retired uh, about a year and a half ago from scouting. Uh, primary reason being, uh, I, uh, my longtime partner of, uh, like 20 plus years, uh, Sharon, Sharon, and I've been living together all these years and she was beginning to get dementia a couple of years ago. It was creeping in a little bit. Then unfortunately for us, uh, uh, oh, I should say for her is, uh, we went and got vaccinated for COVID and, uh, it, really messed her up like overnight within 24 hours so she's needed full-time care ever since uh i i kept scouting and working i did that for four months and and so i uh i would have a caregiver come so i could go to work to come back and it just it burnt me out it was too much so uh, i said something's got to give and uh you know i i learned from my dad how he took care of my mother and and uh, i love sharing deeply deeply and so I want to make sure I, I'm I'm at home primarily for her. I do get some help. Uh, I need help. And uh, so you get time away so I can get out and exercise and do things. But uh, life is good. Uh, like I said, I'm busy trying to stay healthy. I go in and see the doctor and keep him off my back. And so um, I'll be turning 68 pretty soon. And uh, so my, my uh, daughter and her family to live out in Colorado. So she got me, she had me run a half marathon with her last year. So Congratulations. Uh, yeah. Oh, thanks. So, uh, uh, I paid for it for a couple, by a couple weeks after, but, <laughs> but no, life is good. And, uh, like I said, I got seven grandkids now and, uh, just, uh, just like I said, I, I, I've been very fortunate to, uh, to have the life that I've had to have the family around me that I have, and, uh, just gonna continue doing that till, uh, till they tell me I can't do it anymore. Well, we call this Brass Bonanza, a Whalers podcast dedicated to keeping the memory of our favorite hockey team alive. And I want to thank you very much for doing your part today, Mark Howe. Thank you so very much. Take care, and hopefully we'll talk again soon. Yeah, we will. All right, thank you. Hey, everyone, thanks for listening. One more reminder, this episode of Brass Bonanza has been brought to you by Bet Bet BetOnline remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season, everything from NFL and bowl season to eSports. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. We're the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite leagues and events. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. 
BetOnline, where the game starts.